right into our message because we want to um, uh, get to the heart of this thing. And what we're going to do is we're going to cut this in half and then we're going to uh, pick up tonight at, at, at 6 and then again Monday and Tuesday. Every night's going to be different. And if you've not been with us before, I can just about guarantee you, you're not going to be bored. This is going to be some really interesting, eye-opening things. So much has happened since I was with you guys just a few months ago, or six months ago. I can't even remember how long it's been. But um, we're going to cover some stuff that uh, I think it will be very enlightening, and I believe that you will be, get a blessing from it. I've titled my message this morning, The Most Ridiculous, Absurd, Outlandish, Outrageous, Preposterous, Ludicrous, bizarre doctrine found in the Bible. But I believe it 100%. Okay? And uh, I think you'll see what we're talking about. But before I get to it, I just want to take a, just a few moments to just read some stuff. I, I was sitting this morning and writing this out. And I just want to read this to you to just kind of lay the foundation for what I want to talk about this morning. And I want us to be real honest here because when you read your Bible... There are a few things, if you'll be honest, that sounds a little far-fetched. Now, I just want you to know up front, I am 100% a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, I believe every dot, every, every comma is from the Lord. So don't anybody misunderstand me. But what we're going to talk about this morning is a doctrine that um, sounds far-fetched. I'll just be real honest with you. And it's, it's hard to comprehend it. It's actually called a mystery in the scripture. But we know that it's clearly taught in God's word. And I'm referring to what I like to call the catching away. And it's found a few different times in the scripture. And yet what is interesting about this is that this doctrine, this teaching, is in a class all of itself. This is about in time events, and yet there's something different about this. There are clear events that when you read about the second coming of Christ, that it's repeatedly spelled out in both the Old and the New Testament, yet there is this one event that we're going to be discussing today that doesn't match with the second coming scenario. It's something different. It's uh, it's uniquely different and it was a mystery in the old testament but a mystery obviously is explained in the new and there's something very obvious about this that we have all these very clear understandable things that surround around the second coming of the lord and it's in plain simple words that anybody can grasp but then there is this one event that doesn't match the rest of the events that are in reference to the coming of the Lord. And I'm just asking you to be honest on this because this event, which is mentioned at least very directly three times, has some unmistakable differences from all the other events about the second coming of Christ. Um, and sad to say, in recent years, this has become a doctrine that is getting repeatedly attacked by believers, of all things. They are, they're 
they're fighting this doctrine. And even among those who believe in this, there is a real hot debate on the timing of this event. And there are actually entire groups of believers that won't fellowship with one another over the, where this fits in end-time scenario. And so what we're going to do today is that we're going to dive right into this thing and we're going to take it very clearly from the Scripture and really dig into this. Now, let me just say this. If you will be honest, and that's one of the hardest things sometimes for us to be as Christians. We have a tendency to say, well, I'm, I'm very honest. No, we, we have to just be deathly honest and offensively honest when it comes to certain stuff. We do, we're paranoid that somebody's going to think something wrong with us. But folks, there is a dilemma in the Scripture that has presented itself. And if we ignore it, we're doing great damage to its truth. I mean, we read about the second coming of Christ and how it's the culmination of the final end-time events, and yet we read about these other passages where, and it's all about the Lord's return, and yet it is followed by a completely different set of events. And how in the world are we going to rightly divide the word of truth and deal with this apparent conflict? Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I, I don't think there's probably anybody in this building that uh, would deny that the Lord is coming back. Now, there are people that don't believe that, that are claiming to be Christians. And yet, when you look at the second coming passages, let me read to you. Is everybody with me, by the way? Okay, you've got to follow me in this first part, please. Let's read this passage, and you tell me, if this is not clear, it says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth what? And make what? Okay, so this is, a, this is about the return of the Lord. You can see right here. It goes on to say, His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture, a, 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 a vesture dipped in blood. This is kind of violent, folks. Oh, you can't see it? It needs to be lowered. I'm sorry. Um, Don's messing with me again. But it says, and you'll see this, and he was closed with a vester, a vester, vest, help me here, folks, vesture, yes, thank you, <laughs> clothing, you know, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Anybody have an idea who he's talking about here? Jesus, right. And the armies which were in where? Heaven followed him. Upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should what the nations? What does it say? Oh, you can't see that either? Smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. 
He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Okay, now how many can tell there's a, there's a definite thing here? I mean, it's very clear. He's coming with fire in his eyes. He's, got, he's coming in judgment. He's coming in, in, in wrath, it says. He's going to, it, it, there is a, a, an element of strong overtaking of the situation, right? Yes. Now, that's about to come in the Lord. Now, we look at this other passage, and this is going to repeat itself several times. We see an entirely different set of events that surround the coming of the Lord. And it's a completely different Precedence. The priority is changed. Let's take a look at this for just a second. This is 1 Thessalonians 4. And it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others, which have no hope. But if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many believe Jesus died and rose again? Okay. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God, and what's the next three words say there? Bring with him. Well, that's kind of interesting. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, how many know sometimes being alive isn't just enough? You got, alive, you got to be alive and remain. We which are alive and remain unto the, now help me with those underlying words, the what? The of the Lord. So this is about the coming of the Lord. The, obviously his second coming. We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Those that have died, he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain, there's that phrase again, shall be what? What does it say? Yeah. <laughs> Amen, says. Caught up together with them in the clouds to, watch this now, meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, what does this say? Comfort one another with these words. Okay, now wait a minute. I just read two entirely different scenarios about the coming of the Lord. I'm reading this event that Jesus is going to come and he's coming as an almighty king filled with wrath. And as a result, there's going to be bloodshed. There is going to be war. There's going to be a rod of iron. And I mean to tell you, it's, it's hardcore. And yet this one is talking about us meeting him in the air, and it's something that there's, there's nothing but comfort associated with this. It's something that is completely different. And yet, it has to do with the coming of the Lord. Now, can I be honest with you folks? You cannot make those two pieces the same. This is two entirely different events. All right? Let's go back to... Revelation and look about the coming of the Lord. Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, 
And all kindreds of the earth shall what? Now we just read a moment ago that we should be comforted by that event and yet here's an event that's bringing no comfort. This is an event that will cause people to cry out because of him. And then John says, and even so, amen, so be it. And then it says, and he that hath his vesture and his, his, thigh, his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about the conquering king of kings, the Lord of lords that's coming to reign. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, watch what it says in Zechariah. It says, then shall the Lord go forth, and help me with this statement, and what? Fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof. And of course it goes on to explain how there, uh, there, a great river will run through there. But here we find the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, coming in vengeance, and he literally steps his feet, just as it says in Acts 1, when those angels showed up and says, guys, why are you looking into heaven? This same Jesus, as you've just seen him ascend, is going to come back in like manner as you saw him leave. He physically ascended off the Mount of Olives. He's coming back according to this 2,600-year-old prophecy. But, folks... Then we see a completely other description. We just saw him coming with vengeance, with a, a name indicating what he's about to do. And yet what we're getting ready to read here is a completely, I mean absolutely, polar opposite reference to the coming of the Lord. This one is about a, a concept of a Jewish wedding. It says in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. Now a moment ago, it associated the coming of the Lord with people crying, wailing in terror. But then he says, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now let's stop here for just a second. That's exactly what would happen when uh, uh, the, the Jewish celebration of, of, of marriage, they would go and make a public declaration of their commitment. It would be something like a, an engagement, basically, but it was a binding contract that was a part of marriage. And then the, the, the husband-to-be would leave, go back to the father's house, and, of course, they would build on the side of the house a dwelling place, and then to come back and take his waiting bride. And you all remember the story of the ten virgins. You know, five were foolish, five were wise. And, and they, it, it was a game. What would happen, the guy would come back and try to find his waiting bride unprepared. But to show how much she was excited and how much she loved her, 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 her groom, she was ready, prepared at any moment. If he was about to come, she would not want to be found unprepared. And it was, a, it was an event, a, a, a beautiful 
of it. And Jesus uses this as an illustration. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? If that's the only verse in the Bible that tells me Jesus is going to come back, right? I will come again. And now watch this statement. Receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now I'm going to ask you a question. How in the world could the second coming of Christ be so comforting as a husband coming back for his wife when the other illustrations is a, a king coming to conquer and overthrow the nations and to rule? How, is, how are these two the same? Now, is everybody still with me? See, because what we're talking about is an event when Jesus comes back for his bride and he's going to take them to be with him. Now, what we're talking about, in one case is the second coming of Christ, and what we're talking about on the other end is the great catching away. Can you all see so far that there is something obviously different? Let's just be totally honest. There's something that these, these two pieces do not, cannot be the same. They, they, they join perfectly together, but they're unique in and of themselves. Are you all with me so far? All right. Let's take a look at these. I'm going to show you a little parallel and why this is so important that you see the difference. In the one event, we see the translation of all believers. He's coming back for his church, whereas in the second coming, there's no translation of anyone. No one is taken off the planet or meeting in the sky. Matter of fact, this event that we're talking about is um, imminent. It is going to take place at any moment. There's absolutely no signs that deal with what we want to call the rapture. Okay, and we'll talk about why we'll say rapture in just a minute. However, in the second coming, it follows definite predicted series of events. There's many signs. Matter of fact, we know that certain things have to happen before Jesus comes back. But we don't have any signs about this other event, the catching away. Matter of fact, this event is never mentioned in the Old Testament. But in the, in the Old Testament, the second coming of Christ is repeatedly mentioned. And what he's going to do. Matter of fact, the, this other event, the, the catching away, is for one particular group of people, believers. Whereas the second coming, it includes everybody. The entire world, the scripture says, will be involved in this. Now, in this event, Jesus comes for his own. However, in the second coming event, Jesus comes with his own. Did you remember what it says? And did you know the oldest prophecy about the oldest prophecy about prophecy and the oldest prophecy about the second coming of Christ, listen to this, is found in the New Testament. The oldest prophecy about the second coming of Christ is found in the New Testament. Now, how does that make sense? Say, so, what do you mean? Well, Jude said that he saw the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. Coming with that's in the New Testament. And yet it is Enoch. It says, and Enoch said that he saw the Lord coming with 10,000. He said this. Enoch, if you remember, lives 
in the book of, uh, in, in the book of Genesis. I'll talk about him in just a second. Now watch this. He comes in the air. We just read it a moment ago. He comes to the clouds in the air, whereas in this one, he, he actually comes to the planet Earth. Did you all see a distinct difference in those two? We've got one example where only a few are going to see him, those that are his, whereas the other passage just says that every eye will see him. Then we see that this is what precedes, this event precedes the great tribulation, whereas the second coming concludes the great tribulation. How many know that's entirely different? In one event, we see that Satan remains free. He, matter of fact, all hell breaks out when this event takes place. And yet, according to the Bible, if, when Jesus comes back, one of the events is going to happen, Satan's going to be bound. These are two entirely different events. We have, obviously, one event that's filled with hope, filled with comfort. We, we just saw those words a moment ago. Whereas the other event was filled with judgment and woe. We have this that is happening that's going to be followed by the revealing of the Antichrist and his attempt to rule the world, whereas at this second coming event, it is the destruction of the Antichrist and Jesus rules the world. Now, folks, you can't make these two be the same. It's impossible to do that. Now, here's what happens. If you talk to somebody who doesn't believe in the rapture, and we'll just go ahead and start using that word for a little bit now, the, one of the first things they say, well, you know what, that, that, that wasn't even taught in the Bible. Nobody believed that until the 1830s when uh, this guy named John Nelson Darby came up with it. And he came up with it because he had some teenage girl that had this dream or vision. And it's all made up, John. It's all, it's all fake. Well, the fact is, first of all, just because Darby made it popular doesn't mean that he was the first person to teach it. That's an important point. And yet, the very accusation is being very dishonest. And the statement, I can, you'll see in just a moment, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but it's easily proven that this is a lie. It's all false. The fact is, if you will look at this doctrine and how it was taught, we know for a fact it goes all the way back to the early church. In the, in the 300s, we get sermons where they're, re, they're referring to this. The, and then when you start looking at this, obviously, you got to understand Darby didn't come up with this in the 1800s. This is something that's been in the church from the very beginning. It's in the Bible. And yet, here's the problem. Just because something was not taught in earlier times doesn't make it wrong. I mean, you've got to remember, there was a period of time during the Dark Ages, nobody got saved by grace in the majority of the church world. Because it wasn't taught. Obviously, there was always a remnant that taught this. But let's, let's consider this for just a moment. Just because something appears to be new doesn't mean that it's true. For example, when you consider the fact that in olden times, people believed that the earth was flat and they taught it. Obviously, though, as newer understanding came, then all of a sudden people started realizing that the earth is round 
And the correct understanding was the newer of the understanding. Now, if they believed their Bible, they would have never believed the earth was anything but round. And yet, here's the thing. When you look at this excerpt, this is uh, sometime between 300 uh, to 370s. It was uh, a sermon by Ephraim of Syria. And incidentally, Lord willing, we'll be talking about the importance of Syria and why what's going on with uh, uh, Assad and how that uh, all this is, is laying out a scenario exactly as the book of Daniel says. In our day, folks, it is, you will not want to miss the series we're going to do on, on, on the Syrian thing. But in this message entitled, and l- listen to the title, Sermon on the Last Times, the Antichrist, and the End of the World. Okay? We're talking just as the, as the Bible was being canonized. This was being taught. Listen to what, what he says. For all the saints and the elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to, are taken to the Lord lest they should see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sin. Now this is in the 300s. Now you've got to understand something. And this is not to be offensive. It just means to be honest. Uh, the Catholic Church folks dominated a great deal of church history. But if you will look at them, you'll understand that the Catholic Church, and this is around the 300s, this started go, starting, and it was full guns by the 600s, but they rejected justification by faith alone. They rejected that it was through God's grace that we're saved in Christ alone. This is the group that prayed to Mary because that's the only way you could access to God was to pray to Mary to get you to Jesus and Jesus would get you to God. They believed in purgatory. They reject the, the sufficiency of the scripture. In other words, you don't rely on the scripture. You rely on tradition. This is all part of church history. And yet, folks, this same movement, this same church movement in church history brought us replacement theology. The ideal that the, ch- that the church has replaced Israel and the, the whole belief of amillennialism, which is a, two words that means there's no millennium, that there's no reign of Christ, that Jesus is not going to come, as we just read a moment ago, to rule and reign with a rod of iron. There's not going to be a seven-year tribulation. Obviously, there's not going to be a rapture. That, and they technically are teaching that it's all a spiritual thing and that we're really, right now, in the millennial reign, which is total heresy. I mean, if you don't believe me, go down to the zoo in Sacramento and ask for the people to let you in in the lion's cage and see if you can sit down with the lion and, and maybe get a couple of poisonous snakes while you're at it and let your kids play with it and see. But that's not what the Bible says is going to happen during the millennial reign. And I don't know about you, but if the devil's bound, matter of fact, Pastor and I were talking about this the other night, and he was talking to some, some of his friends that just, you know, have gone down this route. And, and, and Pastor Don said something, I mean, if you think the devil is bound, I mean, I'm sure seeing some evidence he's not bound. And the fact is, if the Catholic Church had not put so many people to death, and we're talking tens 
tens of millions, possibly up to a hundred million down the, through the course of church history, the Catholic Church had, had burned them at the stake, I mean tortured, and it was all on whether or not you should even have a Bible translated in the common language, and it was obviously due to different views of the Scripture, and obviously different views of eschatology, which is the, the end time issues, then basically this, if they hadn't killed so many hundreds or tens and tens and tens of millions, then maybe there would have been more traction throughout church history about this. And yet, when somebody says that this was a new doctrine that just started back in the 1800s, folks, that is not true. Now, if you will just do a little bit of church history, you'll find, for example, uh, back in 1744, that's... Uh, 100 years before Darby, okay? And here is a Baptist minister called Morgan Edwards who spoke about the, the rapture prior to Christ's second coming to the earth. Here's what he says. The dead saints, remember this is in the 1700s, the dead saints will be raised and the living changed at Christ appearing in the air. And then he says, Will he and they abide in the air all the time? No, they will ascend to paradise or some one of those many mansions in my father's house and disappear during the foresaid period of time. Now that was in 1744. Then you've got in 1687 a book that was entitled The Approaching Deliverance of the Church by Peter, um, um, I'm going to get this one straight. Give me a second. Uh, Jer Jer um, Peter Drow. That's how you find it. I'm a little French. All right. And he taught that Christ would come in the air to rapture the saints, and to return to heaven before the battle of Armageddon. And in his 1738 commentary of the New Testament, Philip Doggridge speaks of the rapture as imminent. Matter of fact, in 1748 commentary of the New Testament, John Gill, probably one of my favorite uh, commentaries, also speaks of the rapture as imminent. James McKnight in 1763 and Thomas Scott in 1792 taught that the righteous shall be carried to heaven where they would, would be secure until the time of the judgment was over. Now folks, ultimately it doesn't matter what these people were saying or what they were teaching. What really matters is what the Bible teaches. But if you're going to say that Darby created this, it is, that is a, a bold-faced lie. And yet, a lot of people believe that stuff. Now, here's the deal. All these truths, salvation by grace through faith, just because it didn't show up in, the, in a, a certain portion of history doesn't mean it wasn't being taught. Obviously, it was being taught. But they were, there was oppressive things to try to keep them quiet. Thank God for the Reformation movement. You know, it would probably do us all good to read a little bit of church history. And... Uh, but here's the thing, folks. Let's look at this passage for a second. Is everybody still with me? Because, and this is Jesus talking now to one of the seven churches in Revelation 3. 
Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Now watch this statement. I will also keep thee what? From, out of, the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. Now folks, let's see if we can decipher something here. There is coming an hour, a time frame of temptation, adversity is what the Greek says. It is a time that is going to cover all the world and everybody that dwells on the earth. But notice what the first part of this says. I will keep you from this. And the word there means I will keep you out of it. I will take you out of whatever this is that he's talking about. Now, everybody would, had known the Lord had said about this in Matthew 24, then shall be great tribulation. This is uh, in conjunction with the coming of the Lord. He talks about all these signs. Then there shall be great tribulation. And, and Thayer defines the word there as oppressive, affliction, tribulation, distress, straits. This is going to be something very obvious. Watch what he says. And there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There is a distinct time, a, a, an hour of temptation that shall dwell on the face of the entire earth and all that dwell in the earth. And yet Jesus said, I'll keep you from that hour. Now what are you going to do with that verse? Now the fact is, Jesus gave us a very interesting outline in the book of Revelation. By the way, I brought our series. I went through the entire book of Revelation and taught. It's, it comes in, it's in six parts. And uh, you, you might want to stop at the uh, table and pick up those DVDs. But I'll give you a very interesting thing. Jesus gives us the outline to make the book of Revelation very simple. And if you take a look at it in Revelation chapter 1, you'll read there in verse 19 the outline. He says, John, I want you to sit down. I want you to write the things that thou hast seen. He, we're at the end of chapter 1. So he says, I want you to write the things that you've seen. That's what appears in chapter 1. And then he says, I want you to write the things that thou hast seen, the things which are, which is current right now, which is Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what we commonly call the, the dispensation of grace, the church age. And then he says, I want you to write the things you've seen, the things that are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And we know hereafter starts at chapter 4, and it goes all the way through the end of the book of Revelation. That's Jesus' outline of the book. Now, if you look at Revelation chapter 4, you'll find that the word... Hereafter, that he just used a second ago, the things that are, the, thi uh, the, things, uh, the things that you've seen, the things that are, and the things that are hereafter. The Greek word for there is the exact same Greek word that this verse opens up with. It says, after this. And then if you notice the very end of that verse, hereafter. It's exact same Greek word. It's metatata. It means hereafter. Let's read the verse. After this, metatata, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was as it were of a what? Trumpet. Talking with me and said, come up here. 
And I will show thee things which shall be meditata hereafter. John, here's the outline for the book. I want you to write the things you've already seen. I want you to write the things that are right now, current. And then I want you to write things that are going to be after this. That's the book. Now, when you take a look at this, you're going to find Revelation 1, Revelation 2, Revelation 3, that the Bible refers to the church. Jesus talked about it. John talks about it 18 times in those three verses. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Once you get to chapter 4, verse 1, you will not find it again. It's gone. Something happened to the church. When you've got a repetition, repeatedly over and over again church 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 is church church over and over and over again and then all of a sudden the church is never again mentioned you got to stop and go what happened to the church well i'll tell you what happened to the church a door was open a trumpet sounds and they're called up now, i don't know what you're going to do with that now, you won't find the coming of Jesus until you get to the end of Revelation where he comes and he destroys the, Arme uh, the Antichrist um, conflict. But, let's look at this passage. Everybody still with me? We're just going to be honest with the verse today, okay? But I would not have you be ignorant. And the Greek word there for ignorant is the word from which we get the word agnostic. It, uh, and, when, and when somebody says they're agnostic, they're saying, I am ignoramus. <laughs> Literally, that's what it means. If, if you talk to somebody that says, well, I'm agnostic. Okay, you idiot, you know. Okay. okay, he said, I don't want you to be an ignoramus. I don't want you to be ignoramus. Brethren, Concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. But if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we, remember we read this verse a little bit ago, but watch. Even so, also we, uh, also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. And this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the what? trump of God and the dead of Christ arise first now thank you for that special effect but now listen to this see if somebody says well see John you're very misguided because this last trump is found in the middle of the tribulation and it's the seventh trump there in Revelation chapter 11. Well, only problem is, folks, there's many trumpet sounds in the scripture. This is one that is completely different. This one is announcing an event that will take place in a moment. Whereas the other one is announcing many events which are going to follow for days. Read your Bible and look at this. But see, this is where, and I have a dear, dear close friend, a preacher who believes that you're going to go halfway through this thing and this is the trump is when the rapture will take place. But now, watch what it says. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, what is it? Caught up. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, come on. 
I mean, then of course there's people who say, oh yeah, well we're going to meet the Lord and he's going to come down. So in other words, we're going to go straight up and come straight back down? That doesn't make sense. I mean, why waste time? Just come on, Lord, just come. And yet, the word that is used there, caught up, means to seize, to snatch away, to, I'm sorry, to snatch out or to snatch away, to carry off by what? To eagerly claim for oneself. Now, this is incredible. Obviously, you understand how Greek just goes so much detail. And then it says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why is this so comforting? Because we're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. We're not looking for the tribulation. We're looking for the escape. You say, what? He said uh, these things, that you can escape all these things. And to stand before the Son of Man. Luke said that. Or actually Luke recorded Jesus said it. The Greek word there is harpolsa. Now if we say rapture, everybody says, well, that's stupid. You're going to say rapture. Rapture's not even in the Bible. Well, bad news, buddy. Bible's not even in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> so if you're going to say, if, if that's going to be your standard for whether or not something is a right or wrong teaching, then you can't say it's not in the Bible anymore. Harpolso means to seize, to snatch out or away, to carry off by force, to eagerly claim for oneself, which is exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to harpolso us. Now, if you dig deeper into this, and I know you guys like to dig a little bit, if you dig deeper, you will find in the root words, it means to take for oneself, to prefer, or to choose. And Jesus is preferring a group in this event. He's got a bride he's looking for. But it means, and I got all this from Strong's, it means to raise which direction? <laughs> to elevate, to lift up, to raise from the ground to take up as you would to, remember the scripture says they took up stones to stone him they took up they harpoza that's what they did or to draw up a fish remember he says that they were they cast their nets in the pool in the, the nets they pulled it in that's the exact same Greek word to pull it out out of one location into another location it means to take upon oneself to carry what has been raised up to bear and it means to bear away that which has been raised to carry off. I love that thought. This is what Jesus is going to do. To move from its place to take off or away that which attached to anything. By the way, did you know you need to get used to getting detached from this world? To remove, to carry off, to carry away with one, to take away from another what is his or what is committed to him. What an illustration. That's what the word there in the, in the Greek means. To take by force, to take from among the living, either by a natural death or by violence, to cause to cease. That's what that, all the Greek word there. Now, that means something very important. I'm almost done. Somebody say hallelujah. Oh, thanks a lot. Enoch walked with God. Now watch this. And he was not? What? 
Enoch walked with God and he disappeared. He was not. He was and now he's not. Why? For God did what to him? Now this is very interesting, folks, because this is exactly what Harpazo is talking about. It means to be taken away. We read, we read the Greek word here in 2 Corinthians where Paul's talking about this event that took place in his life. He says, I don't know if this was in the body. I cannot tell whether it's out of the body. I cannot tell. God knows. He says, such a one was Harpulsa uh, to the third heaven. Harpulsa means he was caught up to the third heaven. And then in, it goes on to say, I knew this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. Now, that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. By the way, why would so many people come off with so many descriptions of their heavenly visit and their, what they saw, and there's so many conflicting stories here. Paul says, listen, I'm not gonna, it's not even permissible. I can't even put it in words. But what was he experiencing? He was experiencing a type of a rapture. He got caught up. Now, you know, we, we've all been raised in the science fiction age, and we know the beam me up Scotty thing. But did you know, folks, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but the fact is science is getting closer to teleportation on a subatomic level. This, now, this, this is something that is funny because it's almost as if science is finally starting to catch up with God's Word. Because guess what they've done? They have proven now in quantum physics that it is now literally possible to remove something out of one location and make it reappear somewhere else. That is 100% documented that it is literally possible. Now, they haven't been able to come up with the method yet because if they, they did dematerialize somebody and rematerialize them, if they didn't get all the atoms exactly lined up, you may be all crisscrossed, an arm coming out of the back of your head. I mean, you, you know, a foot coming out of your nose, your nose coming out of your foot. But see, God doesn't have a problem with that. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, he already did it. I'll give you a classic example. And it's the same word Harpulsa, and it literally means caught away. Remember when Philip is baptized in the Ethiopian eunuch, it says, in the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. He literally, after he was baptized, apparently standing in the water, he just disappeared. And, but notice what the next passage says. And Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, Till he came to Caesarea. The word Azotus is very interesting. I don't know if God just had a, had a kick out of this. But he took the name of that city. Said that would be a good place to put him. Because of what we just did to him. The word literally means to remove from one place to another. That's what the word means. That's, Philip is in a water a bed of water, baptizing the guy. He got raptured. He got harpulsa. He got caught away. And he reappears in an area that means to turn, to move from one place to another. Now, folks, let me just tell you this. Let's look at this passage again. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Then in the New Testament we read, same story, but listen to what it says. By faith, Enoch was what? Now, it, it uses the word twice here. 
he was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God, what again? Translated him. Now the word there means to transport, to carry over, to change, to remove. Literally what it says is that God changed him, removed him, and he was not there anymore. Watch what it goes on to say. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. Now, can I give you a real little nugget, and then we're going to wrap this up? If you want to experience this translation that's coming, if you want to be ready for this event where you disappear, you can mock it if you want to. I believe it. I mean, it sounds absurd. I know. Crazy, isn't it? But I believe it. If you want that, here's your testimony. Did you, please, did you please the Lord? Now, let me wrap this up with this. I want to show you something. I'm getting ready to play the videos, guys, if you want to get that sound ready. This was a movie that uh, was about a decade ago. It didn't do really uh, good in the theaters, I don't think. But it, it talks about this event, and it ends up being aliens that that does this, that they take people away. And in this case, a woman's child has been taken away and she ends up running into a, another person that they, their child, knew, each child knew each other. Long story short, uh, they're being chased down by these people. What you think is people, you come to find out at the end it was an alien abduction. But I want you to watch this scene. And remember what the word hapazo means, to, to seize away, to take by violence, to remove quickly, and to catch up. Watch this scene. She just got Harpolza. <laughs> you guys are the funnest crowd to preach to. Now, let me just say this, and uh, I don't know if we can have uh, whoever plays the keyboard to come, but uh, there is something about the coming of the Lord that has um, an imminent aspect to it. That means you don't know. Now, let me tell you something. I can tell you exactly when to the day. Now, this is going to freak you out for me to say this, but listen to me. When Jesus Christ will come back to the planet Earth. So how would you know that? Well, it will be 1,260 days after the Antichrist signs a treaty with Israel guaranteeing them peace. That is the beginning of the tribulation. Seven years later to the day, 
which will be split up in two segments of three and a half years, the Messiah will come. And yet the scripture says, you don't know the day and hour in which he comes. There is another event that has to do with the coming, coming of Christ that cannot be figured out. How can these two be? How could this happen? Well, let's look at this passage. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would have come, he would have, he would have watched. He would, have had his, he would have been expecting it. And he would not have suffered or allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore, with that as an illustration, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. In other words, he's entrusted us with stuff to take over this responsibility. Jesus says, Occupy until I come. Be busy in the kingdom. Verily or truly I say unto you that he shall be made ruler over all his goods. But, watch this now, but and if that evil servant notice he's a servant he's not a good one he's an evil servant shall say in his what it's hard my lord delayeth his coming you know there are some believers that are here today that in your heart you would never vocalize it but in your heart you're saying ah there's plenty of time it, it, oh, there's a lot more. They, they haven't even built the temple yet. I mean, you know, the, you know the, there's so much time. But he's saying, my Lord delayeth his coming in the heart. And we'll watch what happens to this servant. This is why the Lord ends up calling him an evil servant. He shall begin to smite his fellow servants. You know, folks, when the church starts fighting the church, when the brothers and sisters start fighting each other, there's something wrong with that church. You get in the church quarrels and church fights and church splits, something ain't right. And I'll tell you what it is. It's people saying the heart, oh, Jesus ain't he's, he's not coming for a while. So he's delaying his coming. They shall eat uh, and, and to eat and to drink with the drunken. Let me ask you a question. How do you explain the amount of compromise when it comes to what surrounds the entertainment aspect of the church? And even to the point of the amount of sipping saints today. I mean, you want to just talk about one aspect of compromise, just the consumption of, of the things that are of this world system. But now watch what it says. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day that he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder. He's going to cut him off. What's this amazing, horrible statement? And appoint him 
his portion with the who? The hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, I'm not a genius of the Bible, but I know enough of the Bible to say that's describing hell. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where hypocrites go. You know what that tells me? There are people who will not be ready even though they've called Jesus their master because they've become evil servants. Their heart is filled with compromise. They find themselves, instead of working together for the common good to get the gospel to the world, they're fussing and fighting and arguing and just playing the hypocrite. And Jesus said, if you want to be the hypocrite, I'll give you all the hypocrite fellowship you need. Now the question is with this, what are you saying in your heart about this issue? And I will tell you, and I'll prove it to you, there are lots of events that have to take place before Jesus will physically come back to this planet to set up his kingdom. They can, you cannot deny it. And yet the Bible tells us about another event that has an air of expectancy at any point. Why would Paul say stuff like, we which are alive and remain will be caught up together because Paul lived with this attitude he could come any moment. Paul knew that there was lots of things to be fulfilled before Christ would come and set up his reign. And yet Paul talked about this emissy, this quickness, this event that could take place at any moment. The question is, are you ready for that imminent return of Christ? And maybe even as a servant, have you found yourself straying from the commission and of getting in your own thing? Would you bow your head for just a moment? I'm going to turn this back to Pastor, and I'm going to let him close as he would choose. But I want you right where you're sitting for just a moment to ask yourself where you are in the ready status are you living today as if Jesus could literally come back and I will tell you this may come as a shock to some of you Jesus could come back for his church right now and nothing has to happen to precede all that this is an event that could take place that doesn't necessarily mean the tribulation starts immediately there could be a long space of time before the tribulation starts, but we know and should live as if any second the master comes back to harposa us away, to catch us away, to come back for his waiting bride. That is a comforting thing, but if that doesn't comfort you and that doesn't thrill you, then maybe you need to check your heart. Would you leave your heads bowed for a moment and let God speak to you as I turn it back to pastor? People think they have lots of time. And they wait. They have tomorrow. They have the next day. They have next week. They have time to set together. And talking to the men in discipleship today, we've been through a crazy season in our life these last several months. And uh, with people passing away. 
some of them unexpectedly. Just did, attended the memorial service for Lori Antikire, Pastor Joe's wife at 47, passed away. Went to memorial service on Friday for Bishop Sherwood Carthen, age of 54, having coffee at a Starbucks with his friend at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, fell over dead of a heart attack. Got a text from friends of ours who we pastored in Bieber, California years ago, and they're on vacation, family vacation in Maui, Hawaii. And their 30-year-old son who's with them, same age as my son Austin, they went to kindergarten together there, friends together. Fell off a cliff, died. They found him two days later. This Friday we have the memorial for Bill Anthony at the age of 78, a full life. We just attended the memorial service for Debbie Reynolds at the age of 73 and a full life. And we'd all like to live longer and as long as we can, but it comes unexpectedly. Did a memorial service for a lady friend of ours who was at my daughter's wedding. Three months later, she gets the news. She goes back to the doctor after being at the wedding there, and within three months, she passes away. Um, the imminent return of the Lord is something you have to be ready for. And the unexpected part about life, the key is what John's saying, is live ready. And there are people who say, oh, you guys are just escapists. You're just looking to get out. We're not looking to get out of anything. We're looking to live and to occupy while we're here. This is a promise from God. It's a, the same as being healed. The same as, as God blessing and prospering. This is the promise. This is God coming back for his church. And I'm sorry, friends, the church is not Israel. We are the church. We are the redeemed. And God has a promise to us. But maybe you're here today and you think, and I'm just telling you, I, in all these years of pastoring, I, I could stand up here for a long time and tell you stories of the unexpected departure of people. Pastor Zane could pick up when I'm done. We could keep you here all afternoon of unexpected departures. You always ask that question, were they ready to meet the Lord? So whether... It comes with your life ending or with the Lord returning. The question today, are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you here, right here today, ready to meet the Lord? Your head bowed and your eye closed. And you're praying. You know, you know in your heart where you are with God. You know whether you've ever accepted Christ, whether you need, there's areas you need to repent, things you need to turn around from, things you need to get back to. You know whether there's compromises, whether there's excuses or justifications or rationalizations that you've made. But whatever that is, if you know that you need to do something about your relationship with God this morning, stand to your feet right now. Right now. You know you need to do something about it. You need to make a change. You're not leaving this building without being in right with God. The Bible says we're supposed to be keep an area of re repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is not something I do when I just get saved. Repentance is what I do on a regular basis. I stay right with God. Make, be quick to repent. 
make mistakes, be quick to repent, not to justify or excuse. There's areas and compromises, things you've made or you know you've never accepted. Just stand right now quickly. We're going to pray together. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. And Lord, you said in your word that if we would confess our sin, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we ask for your forgiveness today. You said, no man knows the day or the hour. So we choose to be ready in this hour. We want you to cleanse our heart and cleanse our lives. Thank you, Father, for your love and your forgiveness in my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Now, repentance means this. It means I turn around and go in the right direction and I don't go back. I turn from that and I move forward. Amen? Praise the Lord. How many got something out of that this morning from John?